whatever you're putting out there, whatever it is, it needs to be relevant to your your audience. Yeah, it needs to be thought provoking and it needs to be engaging. Right? You always need to give something to get something in return. Welcome to Tech Marketers Uncorked. Every episode, I share a glass of wine with a leader in the tech marketing field, bringing you the best B2B marketing strategies for you to make your own. Joining me today is Colin Day, Managing Director for Europe, Middle East, and Africa for Octopost, a leading B2B social media engagement suite. Colin has an extensive career in marketing spanning across the tech sectors. He's an expert in innovative go-to-market strategies and is passionate about using data and insights to inform operational performance. Colin is exactly who we need to dive into today's topic, which is all about the vast and evolving world of B2B social media marketing. Stick around. After we crack open this bottle of red, we'll get right to the heart of the matter. The Tempranillo grape is fairly common in winemaking, but this particular bottle of red is unique for another reason. Spanish wine culture says that mixing grapes from different regions is downright hearsay, but some of Majestic's most prized winemakers were asked to make the best wines possible. No rules, no restrictions, no red tape. These mavericks gathered Tempranillo grapes from all over Spain, flaunting the rules in search of the ultimate flavor profile. And the Govna was their answer. Let's see if they succeeded. What can you smell? I can smell blackberries. Can you smell chocolate? Yeah, I guess I can uh, taste some chocolate notes in there. I think it also has some vanilla notes. Yeah, I can taste the vanilla. That's a mighty fine bottle of wine. Hearty, deep red. It smells good, too. The governor's not a bad choice. How's it taste? Yeah, very drinkable, actually, for a red at this time of day. It's got very a nice um, lightness to it as well. Sometimes you get those reds that are really kind of full on. Yeah, that's not punchy. I could sit there and drink that all afternoon. I know. I was thinking the same thing. It's like, it'd be a really good wine for like a dinner party. Yeah, yeah. Because dinner parties, you want the wine to kind of be flowing. I could see it going with like lots of different things as well. Have you ever um, tried red wine cold? Yeah. That this would be, would be a, a good. That would be a good cold red wine. Yeah, they do it a lot in Argentina because it's so hot there. Right. They make a lot of their reds cold. Very good wine. So yeah. I highly recommend it. I really like it, for sure. I think it might be one of my favorites so far. It sounds like a very London name. It does, but doesn't it? It's quite interesting that it's a blend of different wines from across Spain and that Mavericks took those wines and combined them to create the Govna. So thinking of it as a bit of a rebel and, yeah, somebody who's maybe outside the box. Or maybe they're thinking that um, because it's the best of the best brought together, yeah, then, hey, the governor's in charge, right? What we're really here to talk today about is B2B social. So, I mean, could you perhaps tell me a little bit about what B2B social media means to you and how it differs from B2C? When we think about B2B marketing and when we think about the social aspect of, of B2B marketing, Let's take a step back and think of the, the sales cycle, right, from a B2B to B2C perspective. And you know, B2B has a longer tail to it. You know, if we think about a B2C purchase 
traditionally it's transactional, right? And maybe there's an impulse element to it as well, right? And maybe, you know, there's multiple people in, in the buy-in cycle, you know, someone and their partner, for example. But on the B2B side, much, much longer, so like a um, sales cycle, many more people involved in that process, and therefore multiple tactics and aspects that you need to bring into the sales and marketing mix in order to be able to affect the ultimate transaction, a sale. Yeah, because, I mean, you're normally looking at 6 to 12 months. Yeah, Where absolutely. if you buy a pair of shoes, I mean, who thinks about a pair of shoes they're going to buy for six months? Oh, you've never met my kids. But, uh, um, <laughs> but probably norm- already, normally but no, not. Normally, you're right. Yeah, I say that in jest. But, um, um, yeah, you're right. It's a, a much longer sales cycle. And therefore, as I say, you know, different tactics need to come into that mix. And that what we all think about as, as B2B marketers, right, is how are people engaging with the assets that we put out there, right? How is the buying committee engaging with those assets? How is the organization engaging with those assets? And through that engagement, can I understand any intent, right? Is there any um, you know, activity there that um, would cause me to think that someone may be in an active buying cycle, given that at any one point in time, yeah, only 5% of your total addressable market are going to be in a buying pattern. Well, and I think as well with the B2B like sales cycle, it carries a lot more weight. There's a lot more pressure if you make the wrong decision because if you if you buy a pair of shoes, say, and you don't like them, you just return them, it's not a big deal. You've probably only spent 50 to 100 quid, maybe a bit more if you've got expensive taste, but you know, you're not in the thousands most of the time. Where when you buy B2B, you are spending a lot of money and making a decision for the company that could, if it went wrong, potentially get you fired. So, I mean, it's really is, you call it engagement, but it is also also about relationships, which I think is yeah, kind of sure. the same thing. Yeah, I mean, it's career enrichment, right, or career limiting, <laughs> dependent upon whether you get it right or not. From a B2B perspective, you know, what we're all about at Octopost is understanding or helping our customers understand what those first-party social engagement signals are and then empowering them to bring it back into the rest of their sales and marketing technology stack so that they can use those insights to enrich another business process. So maybe use it for segmentation purposes, maybe use it to augment the lead score, maybe use it for attribution modeling or to notify a salesperson that someone that is engaged in a sales process with them is active on social now so they can jump into that conversation in the moment yeah, and start to influence the journey and the experience that um, that customer or prospect is actually having. Yeah, I think there's a lot of like fear and hesitation around B2B social, especially. I mean, social is such a fast-moving environment and normally B2B companies want multiple people to sign off on stuff and they're quite scared and hesitant to actually start posting content. So, I mean, where do you think that that fear kind of comes from and how how does, you know, a a marketer who might be listening to this help their company overcome that and actually just start getting active on social? Yeah, that's that's a great question as well. And from a B2B perspective, different industries have different requirements, right? It's like, um, you know, we're sitting here in London and we're surrounded by a number of banks and financial services organizations, right? Highly regulated environments. So you you typically see more regulation in 
those sectors than you do, say, in manufacturing, right, when it comes to what people can say publicly, what organisations can say, right? A financial services firm that um, may be regulated, say, by FINRA in the United States, yeah, can't go putting out statements about, um, you know, this particular fund is better than, than that particular fund. So they can't be seen to influence the ultimate buyer's decision through what they're putting on social, right? So you're right. I think that's where some of that fear comes in because as an organisation, if I get it wrong, yeah, my brand is at risk, my reputation is at risk, and um, that's what we're trading on. That's the essence of, of the business, right? So um, I think for, for different industry sectors, you know, you'll get some that um, are more laggards than others, financial services being one of the... Uh, um, one of the extremes there, right? So where can a marketer start? I think the first pl- thing to do is to establish yeah, a set of um, criteria and recommendations around what can and should be said by the organization, right? So, uh, you know, a set of policies and procedures that govern the voice of the company out on social. And then the next natural point is to take that and extend it across what employees can be saying or should be saying and how they should be acting on social. And then as a marketer, yet maybe giving yet those employees some content, some help, some copy, some direction, so that um, they've got a starting point on how they can help amplify the brand and the brand message out through their own organic social channels. Yeah, I mean, we do a lot of training with companies to like almost empower teams because teams are also quite often scared of, you know, posting something on social media. They're often like they don't know what they should post, if they should post at all and, you know, don't want to put a foot wrong and also don't really understand how like some of the B2B social media channels really work. Um, what kind of content they should create and like doing that training and empowering them with with content or with training can, you know, definitely make a big difference. But how do you get like CEO buy-in and how do you get, you know, senior stakeholder sign-off to even be able to start creating content? Yeah, that's that's a great question. I mean, the the way that I'd go about any change, whether it be you know, from a social aspect and, and transitioning or transforming the way that the organization works on social, or whether it be marketing as a whole, right? It's like, um, you know, if I'm transitioning to like, um, you know, my marketing model into, uh, into a new dimension, it's to show what good looks like, right? So look at an organization that, um, you know, your company or, or your executives, yeah, look up to and respect, right? And look at how maybe they're, yeah, communicating and, and using different channels in which case hopefully social is part of that mix, right? But look at how other organizations such as your, your peer organizations to you are using those channels and then like bring some of that in as the, the agent for change. Yeah, so almost creating like a FOMO, you know. Yeah, I mean, that certainly um, is what we're seeing right now in the asset management industry, uh, as an example, right? It's like um, it almost becomes the the herd mentality, right? As you said, FOMO, the fear of missing out. It's like, um, you know, I want a piece of that because if I'm not doing it, then you can bet that um, company XYZ down the, the road is doing it. But then how do I do it responsibly? How do I do it in a compliant manner? And in order to do that, the biggest lesson that I would give to any organization is if you've got a, a legal and compliance team, yeah, get their buy-in to what it is you're trying to do 
um, and the systems you're looking to maybe use to help transact that, so like um, get that buy-in early on. Yeah, I mean, getting buy-in and is definitely essential for getting started. So say you've got them buy-in, you've done some training with the team, or you've given them content so that everybody, you've at least set the ground rule so everybody kind of knows what they're doing. I mean, what's next? How do you start creating a B2B social media strategy? Yeah, that's that's a, a great question. And I know one of the things that um, we were talking about off air is the use of AI as um, from a from a marketing perspective, right? You could turn around and say, hey, let me put into uh, chat GPTs, like um, go create a marketing strategy for me and it'll spit something out. Is that the best way to do it? Probably not. The way that um, you know, we would encourage our customers to do it is to look at the rest of the marketing mix, yeah, to understand the campaigns that you've got in play or the campaign that you've got in play, depending upon whether you're, you're single or, or multi-threaded in, in that approach, understand the goals and, and objectives of that campaign, yeah, and then start to trickle down to the underlying tactics that you would bring to play in order to get that campaign actioned. And you're going to, at some point, yeah, hit upon social as a channel, right? Because after all, Social is the third largest engagement channel that any organization has, right, outside of their website and outside of email, right? So, you know, something's happening on social today, yeah, whether it's formal or not, yeah, and what we're really talking about here is how do we formalize it? How do we put a structure and a framework around it in order to make social a channel as you would any other channel that, um, that you're, you're using as part of your marketing tactics and marketing mix today? Yeah, there's definitely an important role for social. But how do you choose what social channel you should be on? Should you be on all of them? Should you be on some of them? And, you know, how do you determine what social media channel you should be on? That's an amazing question. And some of it comes down to, again, your industry, how you want to, to use social. So is it paid or is it organic or is it a blend of both? I'd always advocate for a blend of both. If it's organic, is it you know, my organic owned channel, i.e. the brand, the brand channel, or is it my organic earned channel, i.e. my employees, and I'm using my employees to amplify my reach, or is it a combination of both? You know, it really comes down to you know, which of those aspects yeah, you're, you're looking to deploy. And then it comes down to, okay, right, Let's say it's um, it's organic and it's organic earned, i.e. I'm looking to, to empower my employees to, to share content out over their own social networks. What I'd then do is start to look at the networks themselves, LinkedIn versus Twitter versus TikTok versus Insta versus Facebook, right? And I'd start to look at maybe the executive, yeah, maybe the elements of the sales team and understand what networks they have, yeah, and what reach they have and whether it's the right audience in order for me to then like, um, you know, finally hone in on a specific network or networks. B2B, yeah, the de facto standard for B2B has to be LinkedIn, has to be. If you don't have a presence on LinkedIn, you're probably about five years too late. Right? But saying that, LinkedIn hasn't been going that long. So um, maybe you're not too late, maybe you just need to think about how you go about like um, you know, leveraging the footprint that you've already built on that network or those networks. So I'd say number one is always going to be LinkedIn. Right? If you then looked at um, other you know, usage statistics, you'll probably see that Facebook is actually number two. Most people think it's going to be Twitter or do we call it X? 
but it's actually Facebook, right? From a B2B perspective, Facebook actually is the second largest channel. And then it's um, a bun fight between Instagram and Twitter, right? And then maybe you've got up and coming networks or new networks such as TikTok, but um, you know, there are some obvious uh, in, in certain jurisdictions, right? Such as the United States, there are concerns around that channel or, or that network given the ownership from a, from a Chinese perspective. Yeah. So I can't not ask, what do you think about the debacle going on at the moment with Twitter, now known as X, and Elon Musk, and everything that he's kind of, his leadership of the company, should I say? Yeah, look, so I think it would have been remiss of you not to bring it up, right? <laughs> um, has Elon Musk ever lost at anything he's done? Has he grown successful businesses? Yes. Do I personally agree with the way that um, you know, maybe he's gone about things at, um, at Twitter or X? Maybe not. But I think you know, time will tell on his success or not. Like, um, look, the advertising numbers dropped off of a cliff right? Like, um, in the early days. Has the death toll rung for Twitter or X as yet? No, I don't think it is. Right? Like, um, I think that there's still active B2B organizations using Twitter as a channel or X as a channel. And I think that um, you know, people are, are still out there so like, um, you know, being informed by information, rightly or wrongly, that's being published on that network. Yeah, it's quite interesting because every time he does something crazy, I think, okay, that's like the craziest it can get. And then he does something else. And then he does something else. else, right? First day of their job, right? Who comes in bringing the kitchen sink into, uh, into the office, right? So it's something that I've never done before. Yeah, it's quite interesting. I think a lot of brands are kind of watching it and wondering if they should invest and continue to create content on the channel or if it's worth like just kind of pausing for a moment and holding fire until things settle down. There are always going to be moments in time when brands need to pause their social activity, right? Whether it be in an instance such as, as this or guess what? We've got an internal fire that we're fighting, right? And I need to go, I need to go radio silent on social. So there always needs to be a mechanism yeah, or a, uh, a way of pulling the handbrake yeah, for the organization as it's looking to publish content out on social, whether that be on X, whether it be on TikTok, um, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, LinkedIn, all of them, right? There always needs to be that emergency red button or handbrake. We call it an octopost crisis mode, right? So like, um, there always needs to be a, a, a mechanism or means to enact crisis mode. Crisis may not be a bad thing, may be a good thing. It may be that I want to give space Right for other organisations or other people, yeah, to have more airtime and more space on social channels. Right, that's happened in the past with such things as the Black Lives Matter movement. Right, where a lot of brands, you know, went radio silent in order to give space to those top of moments, like um, you know, things to to take place and and be able to to thrive and flourish without like um, any other interference. I want to ask you as well about Facebook. I'm, I mean, I'm a little bit surprised that it's the second. I'm sure that it is. But I'm a little bit surprised because I wouldn't have guessed it of my own initiative. Uh, you know, you hear a lot of things like organic is dead on Facebook. Only my grandmother has Facebook. I mean, what do you think about that? Is Facebook really only for paid or, you know, can you still get good organic traction on it? You know, what should a B2B brand think about when they're thinking about whether or not Facebook should be one of their channels? Yeah, great question. I'd say that each channel has different applicability. 
you know, we're talking about Facebook, but let's let's say Instagram as well, right? It's like part of the meta family at Octopost. Yeah, we use Instagram more for you know our uh, employee branding, right? So it's more a case of hey, the team have been doing this, the team have been doing that. So like um, you know, let's put it on Instagram as a place to to try and attract or, or, or drive the next Octoposter to, right? So we use we use it for very, very different purposes to to what we use LinkedIn for, which is more so like, you know, thought leadership led. From a Facebook perspective, in actual fact, the reason that a lot of brands will use Facebook yeah, is generational. My kids always used to say, Dad, you're too old to be on Facebook, right? So my kids' generation are using Facebook, but more from a, a message perspective, right? From a brand's perspective, though, one of my former employers, right, it's like um, we did some analysis of where our buying committees, and these were, this was a financial services or a financial technology company, so selling to financial services organizations. And um, you know, these were those multi-million dollar deals that you were talking about, right, that have you know, not just um, you know, six to 12 months, but maybe 12 to 36 months, like um, deal cycles associated to them. We used to see that the majority of the buying committee would actually be active on Facebook over the weekend. So therefore, Slack and we would start to put out yeah, our organic posts on Facebook at that point in time, but get our employees to publish it, yeah, because they were the people that were connected to the buying committees, whether it be on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, um, Instagram, etc. Right. So it all depends on what type of message or, or what type of asset it is you're putting out there to what um, what network I would recommend. Yeah, um, it also depends upon how connected your employee community is to the clients and prospects that um, that you're looking to target on whether you go down the organic earned route or the organic owned route or, or the paid route. Yeah, I mean, I think that's an important point to think about is who are you trying to reach and where are they? Because people are on social, whether they're on it for work or whether they're on it in their personal life. And it does give you an opportunity to get in front of them in a time when, you know, they might be off, like like on yep. Facebook on the weekends. So, I mean, it is it is definitely something worth considering. Obviously, the main social channel for B2B is LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Absolutely. LinkedIn's where the party's at. Yep. When it comes to LinkedIn, I think there's probably two approaches. There's a personal brand, which you mentioned with like leveraging the network, and then there's the company brand. So what role do you think that personal branding plays on LinkedIn, and really how do you leverage that network? That's a great question. So I'd, I'd actually flip it back and say, when was the last time you got personal with a brand on social, be it LinkedIn or something else, right? When was the last time you had a conversation with a brand? A bit hard, right? It's like, um, you know, maybe it was an airline that was the world's favorite, right? I'm not going to say any names because that, uh, that would be advertisement. But um, maybe you were berating them, right, about their, their aircrafts, like getting you to your destination late. And maybe that was two years ago, right? And it was a one way. It was a, it was a, a monologue rather than a dialogue, right? But if I asked you when was the last time you had a conversation um, and engaged with with um, you know someone's post or um, you know someone's DM on say LinkedIn, you'd probably tell me it was within the last eight hours, right? 
Yeah, and, easily an hour ago, right? An hour if ago, even. <laughs> yeah, maybe it was ten minutes ago before we walked in here, right? So you know, if you look at that, so like that starts to give you some indication on how should I think about my corporate brand, right? And the way that I publish content from a corporate brand perspective on social versus how should I think about you know engaging with my employees so they can take that message and uh, put it out over their own channels, right? Because you know if you can empower the employee, right? And if you looked at the collective reach on average, yeah, of the employee base versus the number of followers that the brand has, you'll typically see that statistically, yeah, the employee base has a, a 10x, yeah, so 10 times greater reach than the brand itself, right? And then if you think about that conversation about when was the last time you engaged with a person versus a brand, yet statistically, people are eight times more likely to engage on social, yet on a post that went out from on a personal account than on a brand account. And then if you take that one layer lower, the conversions that you would expect to get through personal versus brand, yet seven times more likely to convert. So 10 times the reach, eight times the engagement, yet seven times uh, more likely to, to convert. I mean, that all sounds good, but how do you actually get a busy executive who is firefighting and on planes left, right, and center to create content? And is that who you want to create content? Or when you talk about employees, do you want literally everybody in the company or do you want like the most senior people? Or, you know, is it the salespeople who should be, you know, we all get spammed on LinkedIn. Nobody really likes it. So should it be like the salespeople who are doing it? I mean, who in the company do you get to be active and how do you get them to be active? So I love Quentin Tarantino films. Right? <laughs> so I'm going to flip your question and I'm going to go from the end to the beginning. Right. First of all, I'm going to and I'm going to rephrase it a little bit. Right. You're asking what content should I post? You said you're getting spammed by sellers, that's wrong in so much as, you know, it needs to be engaging, right? It needs to be relevant for you to engage with it. You know, it, it's not about a sales conversation or it certainly shouldn't start off as a sales conversation. It may lead, yeah, it there at some point in the future, but far too often, yeah, you get a connection request on LinkedIn and it's like, hey, hi, it's like, um, I uh, see that we we share some connections in common. It's like uh, my company does X, Y, and Z. Would you like to buy one? Well, and you can always tell by their title. Right. If it's like sales or related at all whatsoever, you don't want to Right. So, so I, think, I think the first question is, or the, the first response is whatever you're putting out there, right, whether it be something that um, someone creates for you, yeah, and you take it and you put it out onto your network. Whatever it is, it needs to be relevant to your your audience. Yeah, it needs to be thought provoking and it needs to be engaging. Right, you always need to give something to get something in return. It's basic relationship one on one. You got it. It's like the clues in the name. Yeah, it's like um, we want to be social, right? <laughs> and guess what? We're doing it through a media channel, right? So social media. But um, you you then mentioned about like um, you know who is it with if we're thinking about. Um, you know, what we call employee advocacy, right? Getting the employees to advocate on behalf of the brand. You know, is it the whole company? I'd actually say no, right? Because statistically, and I love a statistic, right? You can tell I'm, I'm in marketing. But um, statistically, only 25% of the overall employee base right, will make good brand advocates. So you've got to try and dial in, right, to, to those people. 
you talk about um, you know executives being busy, being on aeroplanes or traveling or being in board meetings, you know, being like um, you know generally busy. So there are several ways to assist in that, right? From a social media management um, you know, strategy perspective, right? So like, um, and this isn't just for the executive; this could be for the wider um, employee base as well. Create sample content for them, right? So create a copy container with the image. Right, and put it in a place that makes that they can go to very easily in order to find content that's relevant to them, be that on a topic or a product or for a geo or whatever it may be, right? So like make it easy for them to, to find content, whether it be on the move, yeah, so maybe some form of mobile application, yeah, or be in platforms that they're used to, to, to working in say Microsoft Teams, for example, or maybe um, you know, they're part of the sales organization and they're used to using salesforce.com. Make that content live and, and be available with inside those, those different platforms and, and those different end user experiences, desktop, mobile, et cetera. And then given that copy, given the ability to edit that copy so that they can uh, you know, maybe rephrase it or retone it so it sounds like them. You know, an example, uh, Octopost, right? It's like we use, um, you know, this strategy ourselves um, with inside our organization. And my marketing team, God bless them, they're amazing. Yeah, but they're Americans. Yeah, and, you know, they wouldn't even know how to spell governor. I did a governor, post about this right? today. <laughs> yeah, right? It's like they're Americans. And no disrespect, but um, I don't put Zs in funny places in my words. Are you sure? Right? I'm I'm sure. <laughs> But also, I'm a 52-year-old man, and my marketing <laughs> team are maybe a little bit of a different generation. And they you mean use you a, don't use, they use a lot of emojis, yeah. and, and they use a lot of exclamation marks. Uh-huh. And, and you know, if, if, if I put emojis and exclamation marks and Zs on my social posts, people would realize that's not Colin, right? If it doesn't say governor, right, it's like um, they'd, they'd know it's not me. So it comes down to... You know, you talked about building a relationship, right? If we've got any form of relationship, you you know what I sound like, whether it be in written form or whether it be in, in verbal form. So therefore, it needs to be real. It needs to be authentic, right? It needs to be engaging and it needs to be something that um, you know, I'm proud to stand behind as an individual. So giving the employee the starting point, that safe place, right, that that understanding of here's the asset, here's, here's sort of what I want you to say, right, in order to represent this article, right, or this uh, this asset. But giving the, the the person the flexibility to modify it and change it so that um, it's it's in their own voice, their own tone, and, and is, is realistic when it goes out onto their network. That's key. Yeah, definitely. One thing that you pointed out there, or touched on really, is about authenticity. Yep. And you know, being vulnerable. But obviously, one of the, like, criticisms of LinkedIn as well is that it's becoming a bit like Facebook. You know, people are posting things that are quite personal. So how do you balance that between being authentic and, you know, perhaps being too personal? Is there such a thing as too personal? Yeah, I would paint it in a different way. I was always taught Look, I came from uh, a regulated industry, right? So, um, you know, risk, ad- risk adverse. I was always taught or I was told once by one of my leadership team, Colin, A, what goes online stays online. What goes online, what you put online, yeah, with your name associated to it, use two litmus tests. One, if you showed it to your grandmother, would she be proud of you, right? Two, if it went before a judge, yeah, are you going to get in trouble for it? 
there may be extreme cases, right? But um, you know, they're they're good pillars to to stand behind and and think before you push that commit and post button. Yeah, I I, I don't even know that my grandmother knows what I do for work. <laughs> So I think she wouldn't be embarrassed by it. I just don't think she'd probably understand it. I'm really sorry if you're listening, Nana. But yeah, so I mean, that that test is is good to degree. But I mean, there's a lot of content that falls in between that yep. isn't going to like embarrass your grandmother, but is still personal or vulnerable or sharing something about, you know, maybe even it's just like your struggles in business that wouldn't embarrass your grandmother, but would perhaps be a little bit scary to post because you don't want to look like a failure, like you made a mistake or something. But if you're thinking about posting it in the first place, I think you, you've already reconciled that with yourself. Right. So is that the kind of post that I'd post? Probably not. Is it the kind of post that, um, some of my colleagues may post, absolutely, right? So it comes down to that genuine thing again, right? It's like, um, you know, everything goes back to authenticity and, and being genuine. If you knew me, you'd know that that's not where I would take, you know, my professional conversation. But if you knew Peter, Paul, John, Betty, yeah, and, and that was right for them, then why not, right? It's down to your personal choice. As long as what you have to remember is you're also representing the organizations that uh, that you work for even though it's it's out on social right because on your linkedin profile yeah i bet you say the organization that uh, that you work for right so therefore there's branding by association right so how does this reflect yeah upon my employer right as well because i'm actually a representative of my my employer by the the fact that i wanted to put my employer's logo yeah on my linked on my linkedin profile yeah. How I tend to think about it is like the things that I would talk about at work, you know, the things that I would have in a business conversation, you know, that not only can make really great content because you, you tend to come across a lot of like the same themes in your day, but also gives you a good measure of like what you might talk about. So you're unlikely to go into a professional meeting and talk about, you know, a wild hen do you were at at the weekend. Where, you know, you might go in and you might talk about your child starting school, for example. You might talk about these more, like, wholesome yep. <laughs> but personal things. Yeah. Uh, and I think it is quite important to think about because authentic content obviously performs better. And, you know, content that contains a lot of links or, you know, is just promoting an article or an event often doesn't get very good traction at all. Yep. Sometimes, though, it depends on the asset that's associated to it as well, right? It's like written form or written and image or video. You know, if it's video, it's like, um, you know, the, the, the length uh, of the video, it's like um, um, whether the video's got any uh, narration to it, it's like um, they all have an impact upon how that post or that asset actually performs on social as well because of the magic thing called the algorithm. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, everyone wants to know about the algorithm, right? It's like I mean, it's almost like being in the film The Wizard of Oz. Yeah, and <laughs> if you, but if you if you go to LinkedIn's um, you know offices, be them in London or Dublin or San Francisco, etc., everyone guards that algorithm behind a, a set of closed doors and, and curtains. I know they don't tell you very much about it at all, do they? They they don't. Every now and then, little bits creep out, right? It's like um, in so much as you know maybe the amount of engagement that you get in the first um, 60 minutes, 
right? It's like, I mean, it's almost like a murder, right? It's like you've got the first 24 hours to solve it, right? You've got the first 60 minutes to get engagement and that the, the amount of engagement that you get in that first 60 minutes, like, um, you know, so I'm told it has a direct correlation about how far that post will actually go out across the network. Well, right? and that's so, where like LinkedIn pods come in. Yep. You know, one of the things we do at our organization is we have like a social ch sharing channel on Slack and we put the links there and then like the, the team can help promote it. But what do you think about LinkedIn pods? There's obviously like some debate in the industry about whether or not they're a good thing to do or not. So again, right, for, for me, if, if I think about that genuine uh, and being authentic, right, it's like um, you know, having a social post that's got half the organization liking it and commenting on it, and it's, it's the organization's um, employees, is that necessarily right? Is that driving the traffic and behavior that as an organization, as a marketer, as a sales professional that I want? What I really want to do is I want to put that content yeah, into the hands of my buyers. Yeah, ultimately, I want it to drop into their timeline, right? I want it to to drop into their social channel, so that um, you know, they pick it up, read it, and and engage with it. And is necessarily having like um, you know, ten thousand of my colleagues like um, you know, click on uh, reshare. Is that necessarily the best way of doing it? Yeah, or is the best way for me to give that single asset to them? get them to reword it, rephrase it, and get them to, to push it out over their social networks. Because the overlap between our social networks, you could say, hey, it's like, um, you know, we're in the same industry, it's like, um, you know, we, we know the same people. Statistically, another stat, our overlap's probably only about 8%. Yeah, I guess there's a bit of a fine line, because, you know, if you're doing an event or something, then it makes sense to have your team, you know, supporting it. And, you know, whether that's with unique content or just by even sometimes if they don't have time to go in and create their own content, even just, you know, clicking like or comment can can help, certainly. Maybe that's where AI comes into it, though, as well, right? It's like um, Potentially. tools such as Octopost, not uh, putting a, a plug out there, right? But um, you know, social engagement platforms were probably one of the first areas of the marketing technology stack to look at ways to incorporate technology such as generative AI. And maybe, um, you know, if you think about like, um, you know, generative AI, um, you know, capabilities, if I could take a link to my blog post or take a link to the registration, the landing page for that event that you were mentioning, right, and have ChatGPT, others do exist, but have a, a generative AI solution or capability be able to go out, grab that link yeah, understand like um, you know what it relates to, and create some draft copy. And the key there is draft, right? That I, as a marketer, could then, or a, someone that's trying to create that social content, whether it be an employee or a marketer, could take that and then modify it into my own like um, you know tone and, and my own voice. That's a, a great efficiency saving, right, with inside the process, and it um, also gives me a quick and easy way to to create unique content. Yeah, I think uh, the key there, though, would be the draft part, because otherwise yeah. it's not unique. Correct. Otherwise, everybody who has that link or is promoting that event would have similar, if not the same, kind of copy coming out of the generative AI. It depends on, on how you've used oh, or, or how on the how organization has, has created the hooks into that AI, right? But um, I can talk from an Octopost perspective, whenever something goes through 
our AI capabilities, um, it's always unique that comes out the back end. Yeah. I guess going back to how the algorithm works. The algorithm. The algorithm. The algorithm. So we know that it likes unique content. We know that it likes authentic content. We know that how a post performs in the first like 60 minutes is essential for like determining how it will perform overall. What else can you tell us about the algorithm and how it works and what marketers should keep in mind? Yes, yeah, so um, we're talking specifically about LinkedIn, right? Yes. So like, um, yeah, so the number of hashtags that you put into, uh, into a post has a potential impact as well, right? So like um, best practice we see, yeah, is somewhere it's like um, between three to five. Also, it could be the, the time of day has an impact as well. The day of the week, has an impact. It's almost like if we go back to email as a channel and we were thinking about when do assets perform the best, right, from an email perspective, I was always taught from an email marketing perspective that the best day of the week to put stuff out is a Thursday going backwards to a Wednesday being second and a Tuesday being third. Avoid the weekend like the plague, yeah, and avoid Mondays and, and Fridays like the plague. When we did some analysis in one of my former employers, yeah, we actually saw that our content probably worked best late on a Friday night. This was a professional setting, yeah, but late on a Friday night or um, some point over the weekend. And the reason behind that yeah, is people are, are still active from a business perspective and they're not getting bombarded or inundated yeah, with, uh, with emails in their, uh, in their inbox over that, uh, that time period. So sometimes it's, how do I stand out, right? And um, that's where a time and day of the week has a, uh, has a direct implication. What about frequency? How often should you post? Yeah, that's, that's a great question as well. Different on each network. The advice that I would have there, if it's a person, right, versus the, the brand itself, right? The brand itself, I'd say from a LinkedIn perspective, look to post at a minimum three times a week. On a personal perspective, really comes down to your personal choice. Yeah, what I would say is be consistent and be active, right? Because we call this thing social selling these days, right? It's like, um, you know, there's this big like, um, buzz around, hey, I've got to have a social selling strategy, right? And selling's a team sport. And an important part of that team is marketing, right? Creating that content, creating those assets for people to, to utilize in order to, to assist with the, uh, with the sales motion and the sales process. Because as marketers, we're there to increase, you know, sales flow and our sales activity whether it be putting stuff at the top of the funnel or whether it be you know, influencing throughout the, uh, the sales cycle, right? But um, our job overall yeah, is to assist the organization to increase the return that it has for its shareholders, whoever those shareholders may be. So if we think about that, it's really a case of we've got this thing called social selling. Is social selling something new? No, it's selling. It's part of a sales motion. Right. So one thing we should stop doing is calling it social selling and we should just say, hey, do you know what? We've got a sales strategy. We've got a marketing strategy. Yeah, part of that includes social media. My social strategy is defined here, going in full circle back to the beginning, right? This is what we're trying to achieve yeah, through our social channel. These are the rules of engagement. These are the, the policies and procedures that govern what we can say on social, how we use social as a channel. And by the way, these are the tools and technologies that we use to enable that. And as a sales team, yeah, you need a presence on LinkedIn because that's where your B2B buyers are. 
and therefore, look, get social, yeah, get active, get posting, yeah, do it on a frequency and regularity that um, feels right and comfortable for you as an individual. On a brand perspective, minimum of three times a week. Yeah, I've read on LinkedIn that the the algorithm best practice for a personal page is like four times a week, but obviously, like that's not possible for you know senior executive who who's super busy and you know posting twice a week or even once a week would be better than than not at all. But yeah, probably the ideal is. I cheat. You cheat. I cheat. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay. Now the truth comes out. Yeah, I know I cheat. Right. It's <laughs> like um, I use I use Octopost. I still create personal content, right? If you went on to LinkedIn, right, it uh, looks like I've posted natively on LinkedIn, but I'm doing it through a third-party tool. I'm doing it through Octopost. Other platforms do exist. And I'm scheduling my personal content. So um, I'll sit there on a weekend. This is a shameless plug that my kids play football, play soccer, depending upon whether you're in the UK or the US listening to this. Hey, you have... 15 minutes in a, in a half-time interval, and I can't sit still, right, as uh, any of my team will tell you. So I'll bring up a mobile app, and I'll create social content on a Sunday, it's like um, at 3.45 in the afternoon, it's like um, at half-time, yeah, and I'll create all of my social posts for the next couple of weeks, and I'll schedule it, and hey, it's one and done, right? That's the way I use technology easier. in order to, to help run my business practices and it makes it a heck of a lot easier because I'm thinking about it once rather than every day at 8.30 in the morning. It's like, um, what am I going to go and say and post today? Yeah. I mean, I, I do a similar thing, but we use SEMrush. Yep. SEMrush also does social scheduling. So now that we know a little bit about like how the algorithm works, how do you define the success of a post? You know, there's a lot of pushback against things like likes and comments and that those are vanity metrics. So how do you actually define the success of the content that you're creating and putting out there? That goes back to your earlier question about like, what's the difference between B2B and B2C, right? So like, when it's a quick transactional sale, yeah, all you really care about from a B2C perspective is what was my reach, right? It's so like, what was my engagement? Because you don't need to go and nurture that per- person anymore, right? It's so like, because um, they've already bought your trainers, so, you know, from a social perspective, the, what you measure from a B2C to B2B um, perspective will be slightly different as well uh, or considerably dif- different. The way that I'd look at it is depends upon what your role is in the marketing team to what you're going to want to measure, right? If you're the CMO, yeah, guess what? What you struggle with, right, is being able to prove or demonstrate the value of marketing to the wider organization. Right. So how do I do that? Is that by saying, hey, this post got, uh, got 10 clicks and uh, five people you know, landed on our website? Probably not. But if I can tie that to revenue in some way, shape or form, it buys me a different seat at the table, right? Buys me a seat at the table. The more senior I am in the organization, I'm always going to want to be able to tie stuff or I should be wanting to tie stuff back to the impact on revenue, right? So if I knew that Colin Day yeah, engaged with this post the copy house put out and it was about this subject yeah and Colin was part of Octopost and guess what's like um, Daniel from Octopost or, and Betty from Octopost also engaged with this post and uh, you know one of them said you know this really slack um, you know positive you know comment about hey do you know what copy house like um, you know got to go and get their service like um, it's amazing and if I'm part of an opportunity, sales opportunity that you're running, having that 
first-party social engagement yeah, insight yeah, and, and signals yeah, is intent, right? It's intent that um, I've just gone and put a very positive statement out there yeah, about your products and services or about this topic, right? Being able to bring that back yeah, into the organization and use it as part of your sales and marketing motion is really important. And that's what I think people should be looking to measure, but it's what you know people would say maybe is the art of the possible, yeah, but they didn't know that that art was actually possible in the first place. Yeah, I mean, it's difficult to know what to measure because obviously the easiest thing to measure are the likes and the comments, but measuring and tracking, you know, whether or not putting out that comment resulted in a sale. And if you're a brand manager, do you care whether it resulted in a sale because you're compensated on like, um, and, and measured on the success of the brand, right? So sometimes there's a disconnect, yeah, quite often in marketing teams, right, on how they're measured and, uh, and, and valued based upon what the goals and objectives of the actual company are. Yeah. And I mean, I think as well, it's quite difficult to align all of that sometimes. Isn't that the role of the CMO? Yes. <laughs> right? It's like um, it has to start at the top. And to get yeah. the data, especially from LinkedIn. I mean, LinkedIn's infamous for not releasing data in the same way that Facebook or some of these other channels do. Um, so it can definitely be difficult. I mean, the analytics on LinkedIn is nothing compared to like the analytics on some of these more B2C social channels. Yeah, and that's where I think, you know, um, technology vendors that um, are, you know, part of LinkedIn's marketing um, ecosystem can help B2B brands or help the, the CMO, help the organization get maybe to that data. So we've talked a lot about, like, personal branding and individuals within the company, and I think that is a really important role because that's almost like the top of funnel. But we haven't really talked about the company brand. So what role does a company brand have to play on LinkedIn? Is it important? Should brands be putting out content on their own company page? Or, you know, can we all just forget about company pages? I think you can never forget about company <laughs> pages, right? So I'm a, I'm a big proponent of um, integrated marketing strategies, right? So it's not about a single channel. It's not even about a single, you know, thread with inside, um, you know, any given channel, right? So it's not all email marketing. It's not all physical events, right? It's not all paid social. It's not all organic social, right? It needs to be a blend, yeah, of, of all of those, right? So, you know, what role does the brand channel have you know, on, on social, right? Several. You know, one of them is you know, great from a news perspective. If you're you're putting some form of news release out there, right? It's so like um, you know putting that out through the corporate channel and then giving it over to the employees for them to advocate is a great strategy, right? Because the news article yeah is about the brand, right? So anything that is brand specific, yeah, I think the corporate channel has a place for that. Likewise, anything that um, is where, where you're not necessarily after an engagement, right? It's like um, it's more it's like um, you know, use the corporate channel for for branding and brand awareness. Yeah, use the employee channel. Yeah, more for um, you know that that engagement and um, you know lead generation, like um, you know pipeline generation activity. Yeah, so it's thinking about what type of content you're creating and what's the best way to do it, which I think if you think about the, the company page is like more mid-funnel, yeah. that then makes sense. 
And I think like the typical journey on LinkedIn would be, you know, you might see somebody's personal page, go onto their page, click through to the company, check out the company, see if it's legit, and then maybe end up on the website. Yeah, and that's a that's a great journey, right? It's like um, you know, you've just described uh, you know, one journey. You know, there are there are many like, um, you know, ways to get to to that endpoint, but that that's certainly one of them. Definitely. We've spent a lot of time talking about organic content and, you know, being being a brand advocate and all of these things, but one thing that we haven't really touched on and I would be amiss to not is paid. Yep. So, I mean, what role does paid play on LinkedIn? There's obviously, it's very expensive on LinkedIn. I think as well, you know, the approach on LinkedIn is probably quite different when it comes to paid than, say, Facebook or, you know, any of the other channels. Should you integrate paid into your strategy and how do you do that, especially on a platform like LinkedIn? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the answer there, as I said, it's like, um, you know, uh, multiple times is it's not one thing versus the other. It's a blend of all of these these tactics, right, including paid from a from a social perspective. Where does paid have a uh, have a place? Right. So if I think about the engagement that we talked about from an employee perspective, if I think about I'm building a community from the engagements that um, are taking place from my social posts that are going out through those those brand advocates. I'm building up a, a picture, building up a uh, a community yeah, of, of individuals. If I could take that community, right, and then pass it over yeah, to my LinkedIn ad manager, right, and use that maybe for retargeting purposes, yeah, or maybe use it to be able to understand the demographic of, of people that um, you know, are engaging with my, my content and then use that to build out targeted ad campaigns within inside LinkedIn's ad manager to, to go after um, you know, the, the relevant community that I've built up. That's where I think you know, paid has a, uh, has a big place to, to play going forward. Yeah, I think the approach with paid, especially on LinkedIn, is quite different because what normally works better is like a gated or asset. What you were saying earlier about giving value before you ask for value. So like, you know, having a brochure, an ebook or something like this that you can put paid spend behind seems to work a lot better than like, say, on Facebook, where you're more likely to see your, your bog standard advertisement. You don't see a lot of like standard everybody can't see my air quotes, but standard advertisements on LinkedIn, especially on, on paid ads. Yeah, I mean, look, with, with anything, though, it's it's all about, even on Facebook, it's how do I stand out from the crowd, right? I want to do something different because if I do something different and I get it right, yes, yeah, like, um, you know, there's a, a larger likelihood that it's going to go viral. Right, and and that's really like um you know what I what I'm after. I want it to go viral to the right community, mind you. But um um you know it's like um you know nevertheless, right? I'm trying to you know get it picked up and uh, and out to the widest cohort possible. Yeah, there's definitely a lot we could talk about here, and we could keep talking probably for much longer. But do you have any final or closing advice for somebody looking to get started or you know boost their company further um, with B2B social? Yeah, I, and look, I've said some of it before, right? It's about consistency. So uh, if you're looking to get started, get started. It's okay to fail, right? It's the way that we learn. As long as you do the litmus test that I said earlier on, right? It's like, um, would your grandmother be proud of it? And uh, would it hold water in front of a judge? Don't do anything offensive. Right. And and keep it real. (laughs) 
right? Keep it real. I'm not saying. <laughs> No, I'm Try not to offend right? anybody. I'm, I'm not offended. Uh, hopefully, I'm not offended anyone. <laughs> Who knows? Um, we'll see whether your your listeners have just dropped off at this point. But um, keep it authentic, right? So be real. You've got to find your audience, yeah, where they are, where they want to consume, when they want to consume, right? So it's about like um, you know, try things different. It's like um, think about the assets that you're using because we spoke about hey maybe video. Yeah, works better than just text itself, but maybe text itself works better than text and an image, right? So it's it's about experiment, right? And that's why I say it's okay to to fail, just fail quickly, fail cheaply. Try not to waste a bunch of money or time failing. You've got it. Okay. That's the McKinsey way, right? <laughs> Key takeaway. Well, uh, thank you for joining me today. It's been really nice to pick your brain. Thank on you for having me. B two B marketing and everything that goes with it. Yeah, thanks for coming in. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Colin, for joining me on Tech Marketers Uncorked. You can find out more about Colin on LinkedIn. I'm your host, Catherine Strachan, CEO of Coffee House, an award-winning B2B content marketing agency for fast-growing fintech and technology brands. If you're looking for a place to pick up the best marketing insights in 2023, our specialist at Coffee House got you covered. Find us at coffeehouse.io. The link's in the show notes. See you next time.